welcome Nexus Church family online to our series in the book of Mark that's self-titled. In the series, we're exploring the life of Jesus and applying it to our personal lives. If you have more questions or if you would like to get a hold of us, go to nexuschurchmn.com. You can find all the information on there as well as emailing nexuschurchmn at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook, but we'd love to connect with you and help you to connect to Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Welcome back, Nexus Church family, to another week in our series in the book of Mark where we are looking at the life of Jesus and applying the truths we learn from his teaching, his healings, his miracles into our own daily lives, applying it to us today. And last week, we examined a very lengthy passage about Jesus' teaching on the end times. Now, Jesus was fastly, very, very quickly approaching the last days that he was on earth and he was about to be betrayed in the garden, as we will read this week. And so before he experienced that, that moment of betrayal, Jesus taught on the end times for a very particular reason. It was because there was going to become an uprising of the belief that ultimately, if you were left on earth, you had missed the return of Christ. You see, there was massive persecution that happened after Jesus went to be with the Father. And there was this thought that somehow Jesus had returned after his ascension, and there were many who had missed it. And of course, that wasn't the only teaching. There was many different teachings that were going on at that time. And, and Paul came about, and he corrected some of the misunderstanding about Jesus' teaching that we read last week. And so we examined that and understood that we have always had this belief that Jesus could come back at any time, and we must live as if he was. But as Peter said himself, Jesus is waiting for the appropriate time when all people would have an opportunity to come to know him. And so though we don't know exactly what that all entails, we wait. We wait expectantly. And so now we come upon our teaching today. And today we are examining the last real intimate setting Jesus had with his followers. And in this, we see two very distinct and very polar opposite responses to what has culminated into this amazing ministry of Jesus. There was two very different responses that his closest followers portrayed in this reading that we are about to read today. And so we are going to take a look at that, and we're going to then examine ourselves, just between us and Jesus, and we're going to ask the question for ourselves, how do I respond to this crazy call of Jesus to really abandon our life and to give it up for him. How do I respond? Because there's two different ways. We'll either follow one path or the other. Maybe not quite as polar as the two situations we'll read today, but we will go down one of those two roads. And from that, we either experience the favor and the blessing that comes with one, or ultimately 
the rejection and the lack of power that is unleashed when we give ourselves fully to the life of Jesus. And so let's begin by reading Mark chapter 14. And I am reading from the Christian Standard Bible today. So it was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a cunning way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, so that there won't be a riot among the people. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume and pure nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. He began to scold her. Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you. And you can do what is good for them whenever you want. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so that you may eat it? So he sent two of them, of his disciples, and told them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house. The teacher says, where's my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So the disciples went out, entered the city, and found it just as he told them. And they prepared the Passover. When evening came, he arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and to say to him one by one, Surely said to them, it is the one of the twelve, the one who is dipping bread in the bowl with me. For the Son of Man will go just as is written about him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. There is an unbelievable depth of pain and anguish that if we were just a fly on the wall listening to this interaction between Jesus and his close followers, the ones that he'd spent over three years with now, experiencing the highs and lows of ministry. I mean, I can't imagine how connected they must have been. And anytime I've done ministry with anybody for any length of time, there is this, this deep connection you gain through the work of the Holy Spirit giving you power and seeing things being done. And, and then 
the this the massive kind of ministry events that they that they were a part of seeing the dead raised being there when the father proclaims his his blessing upon his son like this is such depth of relationship such intimacy every day being with the most amazing person ever to have walked this earth perfection and then this interaction of acknowledgement of betrayal and so there was two two responses in this passage and the first one that we want to really focus on the one that hopefully we can become more and more like as we grow towards Christ in our walk with him that is of Mary and so just quickly I want to read to you this interaction between her and Jesus and the disciples. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leopard, as was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. Now, just to recap, if you haven't followed us in the past in this this study of the book of Mark, we understood that when Jesus came on this donkey and he rode in and people were just bowing down to him and, and laying their clothes down, we understood that at night Jesus would go back to Bethany and stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And then he would go back into the city of Jerusalem and do his teaching and perform his miracles and a lot of correction during the day. But he continued to go back to Bethany because, of course, his friends were there, but also because it was a safe place for him to stay at night. Because, of course, the religious elites were out to get him. And so as he was in Bethany, this, this woman who was beloved by Jesus because she was always there. Whenever he was teaching, she was there at his feet, and, and she gave up the work of the ministry to be in the presence of Jesus. She just couldn't get enough of being in his presence. Maybe you can think of somebody like that in your own life, where they just they constantly just seem to be in this different world, where they're in this intimacy with Jesus that just doesn't make sense to you. I've known people like that. They're just at a, at a different level with Jesus, and that was Mary. She was just always there, this intimacy and this prayer atmosphere with Jesus. And she so she comes up to him, and out of obedience upon what was laid in her heart as she was in this time of reflection with God, he, he somewhere somehow told her to anoint Jesus. And she broke this very narrow neck on this jar and just poured out this alabaster jar upon Jesus, right? This an expensive perfume, as we will read shortly. Expensive. Many commentators report that this was probably a family heirloom, something that had been in the family for decades, maybe centuries. Who knows? It's been passed down for years from mother to daughter, from daughter to to daughter, to daughter. Not only was it expensive, but it was meaningful to 
Mary. Something she valued highly, not just because it was wealth, because it was family. She broke it out of obedience. And then out of indignation, the disciples said to another, why hasn't this why has this perfume been wasted? For the perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii, right? 300 days worth of wages. That's a long time. That's a year's worth of work. It could have been given to the poor. Now, that's an interesting reflection, right? They were dead on. They were absolutely accurate in their statement. This was something that she could have sold and given to those in need. And Jesus replies with this interesting and kind of almost off-putting statement, right? He says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You will always have the poor with you, and you can do what is good for them whenever you want. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. And then she's going to be known throughout the world. And of course, that came true because how many people have read this passage over the years and studied it and, and preached it? This was an interesting statement by Jesus. Because we know, we know, you just read the gospel accounts of Jesus and over and over he cares for the orphans, the widows, the, the sick, the lame, those who were passed by, those who were rejected. God continuously loved on them. Jesus continued to love on them. So we know that Jesus wasn't saying that because he disliked or disproved of that, that, that statement that the disciples made. But it, he was saying, guys, what, what, what you see on the outside isn't really what's going on in the inside. See, she's done a noble thing. She's prepared me for burial. She's been obedient to what God spoke to her. You guys don't understand because you're, you're too busy. You're too busy running and doing and acting and, and preparing for this massive arrival of the Messiah who's going to bring on the kingdom of the world and, and establish his rule. That's where your thoughts are. Your thoughts are about power, money, prestige, being at my right hand. And what is she caring about? She's caring about me, listening to what I say. I've been telling you for this whole time, I am preparing a place for you. I will not be with you. Will you get it? I've come to save the world and to bring them into the presence of God, a different kingdom. And they didn't get it. They were missing it. But she didn't. She heard from God. She had heard what he was saying in his teachings. And, and God spoke to her, take this. And prepare my son, Jesus, for burial. She was obedient. She was doing exactly what I had asked her to do. I love how Henry Ironsine put it. This is a commentator from, from years ago. and He just put it perfectly. He said, there's no higher com commendation than this. 
all cannot do great things for Christ, but it is well if each one does what he can as unto the Lord himself. Mary demonstrated that. She didn't, she didn't have power. She didn't have authority. She was a woman, right, in, in a very male-driven society. She couldn't bring on some revolt. She couldn't bring on any kind of political power or prestige. She couldn't lead in the temple. But she took what she had, and she was obedient, and she gave it all. That was so much to her. She was willing to give it all. Man, she prepared Jesus for his burial. Like, what better gift? Nobody else heard it. Nobody else was willing to understand or believe it. She not only believed it, she acted upon it. And it brings us a really important principle for our own lives. You see, there's going to be people who don't agree with your choices. There's going to be people who say, you're making poor, poor life choices. You have it all. You have the money, and you're giving it all to go do this, to serve the poor, to, to care for the needs of of the afflicted, you're giving up this business, this incredible business to go be a, a minister. But what this wonderful story is proving is that even when nobody else values your choices and your beliefs and, and your passion for Jesus, he sure values it. And he will sure use it to do great things. And though you might not be recognized as Mary was for the last couple thousand years, it doesn't matter if you're recognized or not. What matters is that when you get to be with him in heaven, you'll look around and you'll say, man, my obedience unlocked this door. God could have chosen anybody else. He could have done any other way to get these people into the kingdom of heaven, but he, he chose to use me. And it wasn't my abilities or my power, but my obedience did it. And God used me. God used the least of these, the least likely. He used. But Mary undoubtedly represented obedience. She experienced the grace, the love, the kindness of Jesus. And it led her to sacrifice, ultimate obedience. There was another one in this story that we read, and that was of Judas himself. And in verse 10 and 11, we read, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. When they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. From this extremely small little segment, there's so much in there that we don't see. Why was it that, Ju that Judas rejected this amazing love? Where, where did he go off? Well, in the, the book of John, the, the, the account of Jesus' life according to John is how I like to Listen to how he put it. And he kind of unlocks a few things that were inside of Judas 
the whole time that none of the other accounts really point out very well. And so this is in John chapter 12 in verses 4 through 6. Those three short verses really reveals where Judas got off and where, fortunately, many of us can get off as well. Then one of his disciples, that is Judas Iscariot, said, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and give it to the poor? Now this reveals that really the, the leader behind that statement in Mark's account was truly the betrayer himself. But here's where it gets really deep into the heart of Judas. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And then listen to this. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. He allowed the money to get to him. Maybe this was in his heart all along. Maybe he saw what Jesus was doing and said, whoa, this guy is amazing. He's performing things that no magician can do, no sorcerer can do, no, no witchcraft could ever pull out. This guy has something that I've never seen before. And if I follow along with him, he's going to make bank on this. And over time, he hears Jesus' teaching and everything he heard about the Messiah, about, of course, being a Jew himself. He knew the Old Testament very well. He knew the Messiah was going to establish the kingdom and that he would come and he would overthrow all of the enemies against the Almighty God himself, Yahweh. He knew enough of that to know that God would establish his kingdom. And just like all the other Jews at his time, they they mistakenly thought that Jesus was coming to establish his kingdom on earth, right? If you think back to, to James and John, right? What did they want? They wanted to have the authority of Jesus on the left and right hand, you know? When you come back and you establish your kingdom, we want to be in power with you, right? They continuously thought that the kingdom of earth is where Jesus would establish his kingdom. And Jesus himself is like, ah, my kingdom is not of this world. And so here's Judas thinking that he, he's tapped into something. He's where the money is going to be. And over time, Jesus isn't making bank. He's helping the poor. He's helping those who have no money. And over and over, Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not here, guys. Stop, stop thinking you're going somewhere. And after a time, he finally gets it. This is not going to end the way he thought it would. He's not going to be rich. He's not going to walk away with wealth. I mean, three years it took him to figure this out. But when, when, when Mary anointed Jesus, he finally had his eyes opened. And he's like, this is it. Mary just anointed Jesus for his burial, and he welcomed it. He's expecting it. This is really happening. Hey, didn't get wealthy. It's over. Everything I gave up 
to come and follow Jesus. Maybe, maybe he was a, a business owner and wasn't doing so well, and he sold off his business to come follow Jesus. I don't know, right? We don't have those details of where Judas was when Jesus called him. But he never could go back. He gave it all up. And to think Jesus knew this all along. Well, that's another story for another time. But the depth of that, Jesus loved Judas, knowing all along that he was the one who would betray him. He loved him. He was calling out Judas for leaving him. To leave him. Well, Judas had his come to Jesus moment. And then, as if nothing changed, Jesus sent his disciples out, knowing full well where Judas was going. He sent his disciples to go prepare for the Passover, for his last meal with his disciples. And as he sends them off, they, they prepare this meal. We have those few short passages in verses 12 through 16 where the disciples did exactly what Jesus said, everything followed through exactly the way Jesus said they would. They found the place. The, the owner of the house allowed them to come in to prepare it. And then Jesus, in verse 17, says the infamous words. He arrived with the twelve in evening. And while they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. Jesus knew this all along. In fact, Judas has already established it and went out looking when they went to prepare the Passover, I can only imagine Judas is out there talking to the enemies of Jesus while they're preparing for that last meal. And Jesus now reveals it to them as they're eating, preparing for his sacrifice, not even knowing it themselves. He was telling them it was about to happen just hours One by one, they began to be distressed to say to one another, Surely not I. He said to them, It is the one of the twelve who is dipping bread in the bowl with me. For the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man to whom the Son of Man is betraying. It would have been better for him had he not been born. Right? So here they are. They prepared the meal. They got it all established, just as Jesus said. And then they're reclining at the table after another long day of ministry. Right? And Jesus looks out and says, Remember, I've been prepared for my burial. Somebody here is going to be the one to cause me to be buried in just a matter of days. One of you who is eating with me has already started the process. day with Jesus. Everything seems normal. I mean, sure, the, the preparal, preparedness of burial is a little weird. 
but I mean, that could be taken as something, right? But now Jesus is like, no, it's happening. One of you has already betrayed me. And then we read in Matthew a little more depth to this in chapter 26 in verse 21. We read the more detailed side of this. While they were still eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, surely not I, Lord, right? Like, like he's going around the table and he's looking at them. He says, no, not me. No, not, no, Jesus, you know better. I'm <laughs> like, John is sitting up next to him, just relaxing and saying, Jesus, you know, I'm, I'm the disciple you love. <laughs> not I. Thomas is like, oh, you know it's not me. I'd never doubt you. Like, <laughs> One by one, not I. He replied, the one who's dipped his hand with me in his bowl will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he'd not been born. And then here's where Matthew gives the one tiny little detail that Mark did not give. Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. Like I love you, teacher. What does Jesus say? You have said it. You said it ten times. Can you imagine leaving Judas's shoes in that moment? How absolutely tormenting that must be for him. Like he's looking at the one who's known all along his heart. Like from the day Jesus called him, he knew who Judas really was all deep inside. And it took three years for his heart to finally reveal itself to the rest of the beloved. Three years. Sooner or later, what's deep inside you will come out. Maybe it'll take more than three years. For everybody to see it. But eventually when hardships come and when things are pressed. And for Judas it finally came to a head. He had, he had been hiding it all along. Taking little bits here and there. To just keep it minimal enough so that nobody would notice. But now he'd had enough. Jesus proved to him that he really wasn't the Messiah he thought he would be. And it blew up in his face. And now he's looking at Jesus face to face, and he's admitting, not I. And Jesus said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're a liar. You're a thief. Bend that word over its heart. Oh, yeah, the disciples said, goodness, is this real? Judas is gone. question I have for you today is what's in your heart? There's one thing that the last few years of you just joining us, maybe 12 years or so down the road, maybe this will be all a memory, nobody will ever remember again. But we've just experienced 
three years of just disarray with COVID-19. We are now two and a half some odd years into this pandemic being a reality and, and almost two full years of, of just total a change in culture and has pressed us in ways we've never been pressed as a society ever before in the Western world. And it's revealing hearts left and right of what's really deep inside of us. And as Christians, it's really proven where our hearts are at with Jesus. And it's showing those areas where we truly haven't let go, where we've been really holding on tight, whether it's because we can provide for ourselves and we don't need a Savior to come along and take care of us, whether life has just been, just been good enough where we don't reveal those areas of, of concern or fear or anger. There just hasn't been enough pressure to push us to that limit. But for many, now we have. And it's revealed the lack of trust, the anger that's still deep inside, the fear that we've been holding on to. It's revealed so much. And there's been some impressive, unfortunately not so impressive, results in many people. So the question I have is, what are you going to do if you have been revealed? Are you going to ask for forgiveness? Are you going to repent? But maybe for some of us, we're still holding those areas in and we're not letting anybody see. Maybe at home, family sees the ugly side. We're keeping it in with the rest of the world. Well, as Christians, maybe the church thinks everything is perfectly fine, but when we leave the church, we are no different than anybody else how we live, how we feel, how we respond to life, how we react on social media or whatever. See, what's inside is what matters. And ultimately, what's inside will be revealed when the day comes when we meet Jesus face to face and he looks at us and he says, you have betrayed me. You haven't given your life for me. Your heart has been far from me. So today is that day where you have that choice. Maybe you've had it in the past and you've just kind of blown past it, but I'm that stop in the road again where Jesus has brought you to it and asking you again, will you get your heart right with Jesus? Will you be truthful with him? He knows already. He knew with Judas. And Judas at that moment had the opportunity to say, I have wronged you, Jesus. In my heart, I have been a liar, a thief this whole time, and you are giving me that opportunity once again to repent, to ask for forgiveness, to stop this heart of anger or fear or of not letting you have control over my life. You see, First John, 1, 8, 9 says it this way, and so good. Listen to this. It says, if we claim we have no sin, like if you're saying, it's not in there, Jesus. I'm a good person. I'm good enough. My good outweighs my bad. I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. If you claim that you are good enough, 
that what, who you are isn't that bad in comparison to others. Listen to this. You are only fooling yourself and not living in the truth. You cannot be good enough for Jesus. Now, out of love for him, we respond with a heart of saying, I want to give it all to you, but truly inside, we're sinners. And we need to admit that we do wrong in the eyes of God. We need forgiveness. Now listen to this, verse 9 of 1 John 1 says, but if we confess our sins to him, if we admit and reveal our hearts and say, we are messed up. I'm not a perfect person. I need forgiveness. He, that is Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. We can't do it on our own. Only Jesus can. And he is sitting there waiting for you today. He will forgive you 100%. And that's something that we need to come to him every day and say, there is garbage in my life that needs forgiveness. Will you forgive me? That doesn't have to be a two-hour session of repentance. It can just be an honesty. God, there's stuff in my life that I'm aware of that I know is wrong, and there's things in my life I'm not aware of. I need to forgive you. So that's your opportunity today to admit your failures to God and ask him to forgive them give you the strength to live for him every day, walking in faith, trusting he will guide you and empower you to do what he asks, to be obedient like Mary, to be willing to be open and vulnerable and allow him to forever lead you. Because listen to this. In Mark, we read this final little section and this is the Lord's Supper, right? This is in representation of what God did to Israel way back when he saved them from slavery, right? Locked in slavery, away from God's presence in captivity. God brought them out, and in that moment, they were to offer a sacrifice. And when the angel of death came and took those firstborn from Egypt, he would pass over them. They were celebrating this wonderful gift of salvation from slavery. And Jesus was now taking that concept and he was now bringing it to all humankind in our relationship to the Father for all time. Listen to this wonderful gift, this last supper that Jesus had in celebration to what he was doing for us, his followers. Right? This ties right in to our heart with Jesus. Listen to this. As they were eating, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Right? This is my body that will be broken for you. This is what you deserve for all of eternity. Brokenness, separation from God. I'm stepping into that place and taking your what you are deserving. Your reward, if you will, your payment for your sin, I am taking it for you. Then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, and they all drank from it. He said to them, this is my blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of this vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Right? This blood that I am pouring out for you on the cross that you don't understand yet, but now we do. 
He poured out his blood in a way that would now cover us symbolically for all eternity. So that when the father sees us, he sees his son. His blood covers us. We are pure. We are perfect by the pure, spotless blood of Jesus Christ. The perfect lamb that was sacrificed for us. Our Passover. That is what Jesus did for you. And so my prayer for you this week is that you would get alone with God and you get real with him and you would allow him to reveal those areas in your life that are not right, that you are holding on to. You have a decision to make, to say yes to Jesus like Mary did and give your all to him. She was giving everything she had. All she had was this expensive perfume that God had given her. She willingly gave it. It was her, probably her life savings, what she was relying upon to be that gift that would be her retirement, if you would consider that in our day and age, right? Like this was her special gift. She poured on to Jesus because she understood what Jesus was about to do for her, for you, for me. That's what I want for you for you to say with open arms, God, I am yours. Work out the garbage in my life that's keeping me from you. There's things in there that need forgiveness. Give it to me. And so, Father, I pray that for every person listening today, that they will get real with you, that they will truly allow you to work inside of them so that when you look at us someday, and you say, one of you standing here in my presence betrayed me. You didn't give your life to me. You didn't say, I need forgiveness. I need a Savior. I want to give my life to you and let you work in me. I don't want to be that person that you say, yes, it is. I know your heart. You never gave it up to me. Father, I pray every single person listening today would say yes to you, would say, I have garbage in my life. I want you to forgive it. Give me the power, the strength, through the gift of your Holy Spirit to truly give it all to you. May that be the prayer of every person today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week, and we look forward to seeing you again real soon. If you have any questions, thoughts or concerns, you can always click on nexuschurchmn.com and follow all the information there. You can call us from there. You can give us an email. You can go to our Facebook page and you can send us a direct message and we would love to connect with you and help you in your walk with Jesus. We'll see you again.